they talk about, you know, dog spas and treadmills for dogs and uh, having groomers come in and, and do dog grooming days and all that kind of stuff and just having spaces for pets and um, having a pool party before the end of the year where the dogs get to jump in the pool before they drain the pool or <laughs> close down the pool. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hey, real quick before we get started, first of all, I wanted to thank everybody for joining us on the show and for listening uh, to all my loyal listeners. I really appreciate you, uh, you know, continuing to listen and support the show. If you can go on to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you listen and subscribe to the show, that would be fantastic. Spread the word too. I'd love to, you know, have this reach more and more people. So if you could share it on social media or, or, or and just talk about it to other people, that would be fantastic. And the last thing is if you can go on to iTunes and give us a rating review, uh, hopefully five stars, that would be great as well. It just helps us spread the word more and it helps us get continue to get uh, really good guests on the show. We've had some fantastic guests and I just want to be able to continue to bring fantastic value to you. Go on to our Facebook page too, Pillars of Wealth Facebook page. And I'd like to hear from, from you as a listener of you know, what you're doing in business, what you've got going on, what you are maybe struggling with or uh, being successful with, and then what we can do on the show to help push you to that next level. Maybe uh, questions we can ask our guests, maybe guests that we can get on the show to talk about certain topics, certain things that are really neat, you're needing uh, some, some extra support with. So provide for us some feedback on Facebook, um, and you can also share this out on, on social media. That would be fantastic as well. I appreciate it. I appreciate you being a, uh, being a either new listener or a loyal listener. I definitely appreciate it. And we will get started with the show. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Hump Day Hustle, the show where we focus on business and real estate as our core pillars of wealth creation. My name is John Stiles with Bridge Realty, and I'm excited for another great episode. Today, we're going to be talking about the Real Estate Journal's Mid-Year Apartment Summit that was just this past week, and Todd and I both attended it. So we're going to be going over some of the topics that were covered there. And uh, with that, here is our host, Todd Dexheimer. Todd, how are you doing today? I am doing fantastic, John. How are you? doing good coming off of a busy weekend with family and such so yeah trying to get back into the swing of things here yeah definitely um well that's good sometimes it's uh nice to enjoy some family time and forget about uh what what the other uh part of your day typically involves um maybe you didn't completely forget but uh just enjoying some time with family is always fantastic so uh, yeah, so I wanted to cover uh, a little bit of the the conference or whatever meetup, whatever it, you call it, that we went to. Uh, they had a bunch of panels. I think there was four different panels, <clears throat> and uh, it covered various different topics. And I just thought a lot of interesting stuff 
uh, to maybe kind of go over. Now, before we get started with that, what I like about going to conferences, events like this is that, uh, first of all, good networking, right? There's a lot of brokers that are there, investors that are there, lenders, and so on. So it's always nice to show your face. People start to recognize who you are and understand that you're in the industry. Uh, you're not just a brand new face. The more you go to events like this, and uh, also it's provides you good education. This was a lot of market updates, uh, mostly in our market, but uh, a lot of it can be applied to other markets as well. Uh, and there was some information on several other markets or the U.S. and, and kind of total too, but uh, just a lot of good information. And uh, there was also a lot of market data, but there was some people talking about just apartment trends. And again, that's um, likely applies to most markets. Now, every market is a slightly different, but these are trends that are kind of going on nationwide. So uh, we'll hit on some of those as well. Yeah. The, and speaking of the four different sessions, so the first one in the morning was uh, the market update in general. And then the second one was a capital market update. Uh, the third one was operations management and leasing trends. And then the last one was development updates. So those are kind of the different areas that were covered. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And they kind of co-mingled some of that stuff during those topics, but uh, a lot of good information. So, uh, well, let's get started, John. What, uh, maybe start with uh, some takeaways that you you had from it. Yeah, um, I think one of the big numbers in the in the market update was the housing shortfall, um, and and um, you know now that we're in 2019, they ba basically have a decade that they are looking at 2010 to 2019, and if you've got the numbers right here, um, they are short by 31,000 um, units of what they need for the decade. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, 31 units short. Um, and what they said, and this specifically applies to the Twin Cities, but they're, especially in the suburbs, you know, when you look at the Southeast and the Southwest uh, suburbs, but this is the case through a lot of markets kind of throughout the, throughout the nation, we're short on how many units we have. Now here's my hesitation with some of these statistics and we'll talk about some more statistics as well. But when we say we're short 31,000 units, that doesn't mean we're short 31,000 multifamily units. It means housing units. So what does that mean? Where's the demand and where's the demand going to be? Right now, the demand is mostly multifamily. Uh, but is that going to continue to be the demand? Or are we going to start seeing the millennial generation that we've started to see buy houses at a higher and higher percentage. Are we going to see them continuing to want to buy houses? And so is the demand truly in multifamily or is it in affordable single family or townhouses or condos? So, and maybe is that going to be the trend as we go? So that's, that's the hesitation, which is saying, Oh, we need 31,000 units. Great. We do. But what is that? what does that actually look like? Yeah, well, and related to that, I think that the demand is multifamily until the 
uh, affordability of single family comes back down because uh, right now it's, it's very difficult for entry level home homes to per or, you know, households, I mean, to purchase an entry level home. Well, but the demand or the uh, affordability for rents aren't that great either. I know some statistics were thrown around um, when we were at the conference. I looked those up and they were actually completely wrong. Uh, one statistic was how affordable our market is. And uh, that's uh, one of the gentlemen said it was we're at 19% of income is paid to rent. Uh, I looked it up when he said that because I, th- I scratched my head at that statistic and it's uh, 35% of income goes to rent. So he was slightly off on that, uh, almost double. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so the, you know, the rent affordability is a stretch too. The housing affordability, I agree, is maybe not quite there, but we're seeing very low interest rates. I think the biggest issue with the housing affordability is we've got an, an aging housing stock in the Twin Cities. And the new housing stock that's being built is not being built for first-time home buyers. I think the so the biggest issue essentially is is land costs and construction costs. Very challenging for these companies to make a profit if they're actually building houses for the first-time home buyer, the three hundred thousand dollar house. They would much rather build a six hundred thousand dollar house because they're actually going to make some profit on that. With the $300,000 house, they're just not going to make profit after taking into consideration all the other costs that they have. Uh, so I think that's the biggest challenge is, is we're not building enough new stock. So we have this old housing stock. Um, that's the affordable housing stock, but we just don't have enough of it. Hmm. So uh, there was another statistic that a, a person throughout about housing. And I agree with the statistic is absolutely correct. He said the housing prices from 2009 to 2019 and over the last 10 years have gone from 160,000 to 270,000. That's a whatever 7.5% annual increase. And I'll agree with that. That sounds like, wow, that's a lot going from 160 to 270. That's a lot. But what he failed to mention is that back in 2006, the median house price was 225,000. Meaning, Yes, over the last 10 years, it's increased 7.5%. But when you look at over the last 15 years, it's only increased by whatever that number is, 2.3% or whatever that is. I haven't done the math. but uh, So so big difference there when we look at, oh, housing prices have really skyrocketed. Well, yes and no, kind of. (laughs) By the way, do you have offhand where you get where you got your statistic for like housing affordability? You know, I, I, I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was. I just pulled it up on, on online uh, quickly. And uh, it was just a few different sites said the same thing. Sure. Cause that is, I noticed that as well that, cause I know we've had this conversation before about uh, where we're at in our Metro. Um, and so I was kind of surprised when, when he said that we were at 19%. Um, but yeah, you gotta, can't trust everything you hear. So it's good to, 
check sources there. Well, and it's a, it's a, you know, it's a broker that, um, you know, is trying to sell real estate and not that he was necessarily lying or trying to manipulate, uh, people, but, uh, that doesn't always necessarily mean that a broker knows exactly the statistics in the market. Uh, and it just goes to show you that sometimes those might be outdated statistics, you know, back in, you know, 2010, that might've been accurate. 2019, that's not very accurate. Sure. So, um, I thought one of the other things that really they talked about was the, um, the lack of affordable housing we just talked about in the single family houses and townhouses, you know, we're not building townhouses. We're not building single families. We're not building condos that are affordable. Uh, in the multifamily, it's the same thing. We're not building multifamily that's affordable. Um, and, and I don't recall the statistic, but I think it was right around we need um, an additional, it was right around 10,000 units, I think. Um, did I write that down in my notes? I can't re recall. I, uh, I'm not seeing it, but uh, it was right around 10,000 units, if I recall properly, that uh, we needed affordable type housing and we just don't have enough and, and people can't build, they can't build affordable housing. It doesn't make doesn't actually make sense to do it. Even with some of the incentives that there are out there, it still doesn't make sense. The only thing that makes sense is A plus class housing. Um, and so our housing stock, not only are we not building affordable housing, but we're taking affordable housing away, which is a problem because investors, they're seeking returns, right? They're seeking yield. So what is a strategy, and this is a strategy I utilize, is value add purchasing. So you're purchasing a property that's affordable housing and you're renovating it to make it nicer housing and raising rents. And now, now it becomes, you know, what was a affordable housing, now it becomes a B class, B plus class asset type that's uh, no longer in the affordable housing kind of range. Yeah, that's that's the process that that makes sense. Um, so, you know, what the question that comes to mind is like, how are we going to solve this issue? I know one one factor is um, the cost to for permits and fees to the cities and counties and state. Um, so I, but I don't know if they really did reduce that, how much would that really help us? Yeah. Well, you know, there's, there's challenges here, John, in this situation, this is a whole topic that we could probably cover, but um, the challenges in this, in this is, you know, we have these building and land costs that are going up uh, and that's going to obviously stop us from being able to do affordable housing. And part of the reason building costs are going up is not only is labor more expensive and the Twin Cities has very high labor rates, uh, which is great. Our workers are getting paid a lot, but it's just very challenging because now we can't build affordable housing, um, multifamily or otherwise. Uh, the other challenge is, and this is also 
for the most part good is that the government and permitting um, regulations, you know, building regulations have changed and mostly for the better. You know, we were trying to make buildings safer, trying to make buildings last longer, trying to make buildings um, more energy efficient. And those things, though, add more dollars to the bottom line. When we look at, you know, the HVAC costs, the furnace and AC costs, now we have to have high efficiency everything, where before they had to run at, you know, whatever, 80%, 70%, it didn't matter. And now we're trying to get the efficiency as high as we can. Well, the cost is expensive. They're making you insulate the ductwork where before they didn't. We have to do a lot of extra things where before we did it. Same thing uh, with plumbing, same thing with electrical, all that kind of stuff. We're trying to make it safer. We're trying to make it more efficient, more effective, uh, energy and, and the like. Uh, building envelope, all that kind of stuff. Is We're trying to really try to maximize the uh, you know, the, there's that whole, the whole green push. And I don't think it, a lot of people probably, there's some people that will argue against it, but most people won't. Um, but that cost is dramatically increasing. Same thing with fire, um, you know, uh, suppression systems, uh, sprinklers and so on. So all that kind of stuff has really been increasing the cost of, of the building. And then, you know, you've got cities like, let's call it Minneapolis, uh, was very restrictive on their, uh, their building process as well. So what are you going to do about it? It's hard to say. It's, it's a, that's a challenge. And, and obviously, we should have another conversation about Minneapolis and the things that they're trying to do, because they've tried to, they're trying to do a lot of different things right now. Um, some of it's failing, some of it's potentially going through. Um, it's been circulating now recently. They're going to basically eliminate landlords from processing background checks as we know it. Um, they're going to, they're trying to challenge that process and think that that's going to cause more affordability, which I actually think it'll do the opposite. I think for me, I will probably start charging a, a admin fee versus a security deposit. So I'll probably maybe have a security deposit, but I'll also have an admin fee of two, $300 or maybe more. And that'll, that'll actually be more of an insurance policy because I know that, you know, I'm going to have more evictions because of the new policies that are coming in place. So I've got to somehow account for that. So it's going to go back to the tenants. Um, so what Minneapolis thinks is affordable housing is, now actually going to cause more burden upon the tenants. So it's, it's, it's tough. It's a challenging, uh, you know, challenging problem yeah, to figure out. Yeah. Hey, I'm super excited to announce the North Star Real Estate Conference that uh, I am putting together along with a few other friends. And we are expecting to have a great crowd there. This is going to be September 20th and 21st in Minneapolis and Twin Cities area. And hey, it'll still be warm. And we're going to have a ton of great speakers there. We're going to have uh, some motivational speakers. We're expecting to have uh, speakers talking about a lot of different commercial real estate topics, multifamily and commercial real estate. So we want you there. We would love to have 
uh, a great crowd there. We would love to have you there. And the cool thing with this conference is all the profits are going to uh, benefit charity. They're going to benefit Junior Achievement specifically, who they uh, serve underserved uh, youth, and they, they bring financial education to them. They not only teach financial education, but they teach the, the kids how to be entrepreneurs, how to be business leaders, and how to really do fantastic things after they're out of school and, and moving on. So that's who we're uh, going to be benefiting. We're going to also have a charity gala. It's going to be a fun event, and I'd love to have you attend. So again, it's called the North Star Real Estate Conference. Check it out. We've got uh, links that we'll put on the show notes. Uh, we would love to have you there. We'd love to have you attend. Speaker lineup is coming, and uh, that'll be announced uh, shortly. We do have a few speakers already uh, lined up, so you'll be able to see that. We've got Trevor McGregor will be our keynote speaker. He's a master platinum coach. So you're going to love this event. We are going to just have a ton of fun and learn a bunch and also benefit a great organization as well. I will see you there. Check out our show notes for the links. Well, going back to some of the other statistics they mentioned yeah. at the conference, um, you know, despite all these challenges with building, we're still expecting record high, uh, I think, delivery. Uh, I think they said 8,000 yeah. units, which is the high. Well, it's not record overall, but highest since the 1980s. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the the demand is still driving the market despite its challenges. And we're still expecting... 4% or less vacancy rates. Right now we're just under 3% or right around 3% vacancy rates, which is unreal. Um, I heard a statistic somebody posted on uh, LinkedIn, how strong the Austin, Texas market was. Their vacancy rate is 7.55%. They said one of the best in the state and whoever wrote the article obviously didn't do much research. Sorry if they're listening, uh, but they said some were the best in the nation. Well, Minneapolis, I mean, you know, we're at 3%. And I actually know uh, probably another dozen or so markets that are way, way better than even 5% or, you know, or so. Um, so, yeah. So, but even like a traditional market, I mean, I'm not, not to say in Austin is a bad market, very good market. Uh, but Minneapolis is, you know, 3%. We're expecting all these deliveries and still be at 4%. Right. So, yeah, it's uh, interesting and uh, changing times here. Uh, so kind of exciting to, to be involved here. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, another point that they mentioned was, I think just the st stability of our market, you know, there was some talk about, well, wouldn't it be great if we had a lot more growth like mm -hmm. some of the coastal markets and uh, you know, that would be more exciting and you could put more dollars behind that. But, but then we talked about, well, there's, you know, our, our weather, our climate is somewhat of the dampening of those, those, that trend, but it's not all a bad thing, you know, Right. The stability of our slow growth uh, is helpful, so it's more predictable. Yeah, yeah, we're definitely a slow growth market. That's what we're going to see. Um, 
I thought it was interesting. Um, one of the gentlemen's from IREIT, uh, he mentioned, <clears throat> he was talking about the, the kind of our government and how our government's not very supportive of businesses, which is true. And, and the businesses have really stayed here in this market, even throughout kind of a negative business climate uh, in Minnesota. We're very, uh, we like to tax our businesses a lot a lot more than most states. So we don't draw a lot of new businesses in. We keep our businesses that are here, I think because of our workforce is, you know, educated, very good workforce. It is a great place to live other than our cold winters. Um, but even so, it's a very good place to live. We've got really good schools. There's a lot of good things going on in the state. But he mentioned the challenges and and potentially other businesses being drawn to some of these states that don't have the the heavy tax burden. And so that's definitely something to watch out for. Now, we haven't seen it have a negative effect yet, but it could have a snowball effect. So it's, it's something to kind of keep an eye out. Are businesses starting to look at moving out of state because they're, they're tired of the tax burden that's being put upon them? Not only the corporate tax burden, but you've got the, uh, the, you know, our state taxes are extremely high. The high income earners are paying almost 10% of their income towards state taxes. You know, we're nearly at California levels, um, but so far so good. So we'll, we'll see how that trend continues. One of the other things I thought this was interesting. I don't know what you know, if this statistic is, uh, it's it's changing according to the brokers or it's not going to stay this, but record deal flow uh, has been happening. And 2019 or 2018, we had about 2 billion in sales. 2017 was nearly the same. This is multifamily sales, 2 billion in sales, 2017 and 2018. So far in 2019, you know, we're already nearly a halfway through the year. We're, we're 30 days away from being halfway through the year and we've only had 400 million in sales. So we're at about a quarter of what we saw in 2018. They also said other asset classes are seeing the same thing. Now the brokers did say they expect to see 2 billion in sales in 2019. So that means the second half of 2019 is going to be really, really strong. Um, we're going to see about 1.5 billion in sales versus a half a billion, um, not even a half a billion uh, in the first you know, part of the year. So uh, we'll see where that goes. I also thought it was interesting. Uh, I read uh, and uh, who else? It was another company that compared to us to Denver and uh, you know, we're fairly similar size. Uh, Denver sees, do you remember the, the number? I believe it was $7 billion in sales uh, in 2018 in Denver. Uh, and we only see $2 billion worth of sales. We're very similar size cities. I thought that's interesting. And that, that actually plays into what I kind of un felt uh, like in our market is we see very little deal flow. And they did talk about how the, our, our property owners like to keep their properties. We've got a lot of legacy owners that have kept them for a long time. What I think will be uh, telling here in the next, uh, let's call it 15 to 20 
years, maybe slightly longer, is we've got a lot of baby boomers that own properties. We've got a lot of people in their 60s, 70s, and 80s that own, I bet they control definitely the majority. And this is not a statistic, by the way. This is just my opinion. Um, but they, they control the majority of apartments in the Twin Cities. It'll be interesting to see as they get older, maybe start passing away uh, or just getting to that age where they don't want to deal with them anymore. It'll be interesting to see what happens with our housing inventory or our multifamily inventory and see if that starts trading quickly. Yep. So the number I heard was that 87% of apartments are owned by locally, uh, local people. Yeah. It's just a different mindset we have here. We don't, uh, a lot of people don't get into real estate here with an exit strategy. They just get in thinking that's it's a long-term hold. So, yeah, well, I mean, Chris Sherman with Sherman Associates, they uh, he was there. He he um, had you know he was what running one of the panels, um, and that's he he mentioned that they they buy and they hold. You know, and, and a lot of the, the same thing with uh, Soderbergh, Jim Soderbergh, he was there, they buy and they hold. Um, you know, our, our friend Stuart, he was there, they buy, he buys and holds. You know, a lot of people, and these aren't old people, by the way, these are people that are, you know, in their, I don't know how old everyone there is, but 50s and younger. Um, so they're, they're still holding and that's just a, what, our market does. So it's hard to find deals. Yep. Well, let's, let's switch gears quite uh, briefly. What were some of the other um, highlights from the last two panels, you know, different leasing trends uh, and then development updates? Well, one thing quick, you just mentioned 87% of the apartment owners are local. CBRE, uh, which is just sells most of our bigger apartments around here, they've had six closings and five are out of state. So the six closings so fo- just recently and five, or maybe they're having six closings, but anyways, they're five are out of state. So that trend is definitely changing. So, um, okay, so... On to the next, the next panels. Um, you said the trends. Is that what you said? Yeah, leasing and management trends. Yeah, so uh, you know, definitely they were talking a lot about integrating technology uh, into you know not only your operations but your leasing, um, making sure. You know, I, there's a lot of different technologies that multifamily in general has been very slow to adapt to our our tech world. And I, I think that was one thing they were talking about a decent amount was how can we implement some of these, uh, you know, tech friendly things into apartments. Um, the other thing they talked about was, uh, was some amenity trends. Uh, pet friendly was big. Uh, they talk about, you know, dog spas and treadmills for dogs and uh, having groomers come in and, and do dog grooming days and all that kind of stuff. And just having spaces for pets and um, having a pool party before the end of the year where the dogs get to jump in the pool before they drain the pool <laughs> or close down the pool. 
Uh, I thought an inter another interesting one was, and, and this is this makes a lot of sense, but um, co-working spaces. So in the, you know, in your clubhouse, uh, having an area where there's co-working spaces and also where there's spaces where people can actually go in and they can lease out an office. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. A lot of people are able to work from home now and they maybe don't want to be stuck in their apartment so they can go into this co-working space or they can have an, a small office space that they can actually rent. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, internet, of course, uh, high speed internet though, very accessible, very easy to use internet. Um, I talked about Zen spaces, having these kind of green spaces where people can go and, and, um, you know, I, I don't even know what a Zen space technically is, I guess, but, uh, it's maybe a waterfall and some flowers and I don't know, stuff like that. Um, they talk a lot about package delivery, making sure that's very accessible, uh, bike storage, bike stations, that type of stuff. So, um, those are some trends. I don't know if you had anything else that you would want to add to that on the trends. Yeah, I, I know that one person was like, yeah, there's all this buzz about technology, but really we just need to do some basic things and not be chasing the, the latest fad. Yeah. So that was from one person. Another person talked about using a CRM software uh, and talked about how the rental business is just so far behind uh, kind of a customer relationship uh, perspective on, you know, taking care of our tenants, residents, you know, um, tracking what their experience is, making sure that we're interacting with them in a consistent way, yeah. um, which is, I think that's true. Like the way that we interact with tenants is really random. Archaic. And, yeah. So. Yeah. Um, they, she also mentioned, I think it's the same person, um, Janet, she mentioned the um, need to actually get back to prospective tenants like right away. You know, these tenants expect for immediate basically interaction. And so having a call center, uh, be able to answer calls or something like that is, is actually really valuable. Um, having somebody to be able to, you know, respond to internet requests is actually valuable. So uh, being able to just get them set up for an appointment. Uh, I think she mentioned, you know, they're, if they're not called back in 24 hours, forget it. They, they've moved on. Um, and I've typically noticed that too, you know, when we have phone calls, if we don't call them back right away, they're, they're just, they just moved on. They forget that they called about your place and they don't care anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, and we think that today's world with every, everything is online. Everybody does their shopping online that, well, why would we need to talk to them? Well, it's because that, you know, their home, their future prospective home that they're going to live in uh, it's a real physical place and they want to really see it. Um, and when they're, when they're actually calling, that means they're ready to speak to somebody. And so they want to speak to them then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything else on the, the leasing aspect? Uh, yeah, I think that's the majority of what they covered there. Um, I think the biggest you know thing with, with 
as far as trends go or, or tenants are willing to pay for the experiences. They're willing to pay for that extra, you know, um, amenity or two. They, that's what they want. Um, you know, Jim was up there and obviously Jim Soderberg, he's a big proponent of amenities. He did a huge amenity package at, you know, one of his buildings. Now it was a, it was a massive building, but, um, what did he say? They had like 48 amenities or something like that. Uh, something crazy. Uh, maybe it was even more than that, but they just, he, he, he's a firm believer in amenities. Uh, they're doing a lot of amenities at one of his new projects right now. And, and really everybody that was up there was talking about the amenities that they do. Even uh, one of the guys, Stuart, you know, he's do, does mostly B and C class um, now different amenities, but he, they're still doing amenities too. Dominion, uh, affordable housing, they're doing amenities still. Uh, now they mentioned more on making the unit space really nice and, um, clean and all that kind of stuff, but everybody's doing amenities yet, even, even on this, in the C class. Yep. Well, and I think it just speaks to people want to be proud of where they live. They want to be comfortable where they live and just, you know, have a good experience so that they want to continue to stay there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that's about it. I mean, that's, that was, uh, the, the majority of, of what they covered. Um, I think that, you know, national trends are, are very similar. Every market's different. So some of the statistics as far as vacancy rates and sales and stuff like that are, are different, but, I'm seeing a trend on on mo, in most markets uh, for the investors that I talk to. You know, I have I have friends that invest in in different markets in Texas. I have uh, friends that invest kind of all over the Midwest in the in in the Southeast, uh, in the in the Northeast, and uh, we're kind of seeing the same thing as far as deal flow. Uh, seeing less deal flow this year, less deals closing this year, it seems like. Uh, deals that are maybe farther apart from the se the seller and the buyers are just too far apart where the deals aren't getting done. Uh, so I think that's a, kind of an interesting, you know, interesting to see that happening. Um, obviously, I hope that means prices go down a little bit. Uh, but you know, we'll see who's going to hold off the longest. Um, and it seems like vacancy rates are still strong. You know, we're still seeing, depending on your market, still seeing anywhere between, you know, three to, you know, 7% in, in most markets, uh, which, are, which are still pretty strong. Anytime you're, you know, below 10, you're, you're happy, you're probably happy. So. Yeah, and then just probably just one final thing from myself is uh, talking about capital markets. You know, there's just no shortage of cash looking for opportunities mm. to invest in, especially with the um, increasing popularity of crowdfunding. You know, it allows smaller investors to get involved and yeah. uh, increasing the, the total capital, available capital to purchase properties. I wish I remembered the source, um, but I just, who, who was it? I just recently heard somebody raised 
a good chunk of money. I think it was around $30 million through crowdfunding mostly. And they had investors that uh, even were putting in like a hundred bucks um, into the deals. Uh, so, or maybe it was a thousand, but there many ways their minimum was really low, like a thousand bucks or so, or so, and all the way up to, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, but they raised a massive amount of money uh, with that. And um, so there's, there's, there's definitely lots of money out there. Like you said there's crowdfunding and then the lenders, you know, your, your local banks are hungry. Uh, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac are hungry. Uh, HUD's hungry. You know, they're the CMBS uh, insurance. Uh, they're, they're all hungry. They all want to do deals. Uh, they all got their restrictions. They talked about the restrictions. I thought an interesting statistic. We talk about the sales being down, uh, but Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac are kind of the loans of choice and they are um, nearing their max loan capacity of, of what they can loan for the, for the year. So I thought that was interesting uh, as well, but they're kind of the loan of choice right now, but there's lots of bridge products. There's all kinds of, of different products available right now. So it'll be interesting to see how the rest of 2019 plays out in this apartment world. Um, you know, if any of our listeners or viewers uh, were at this conference as well, we'd like to hear your takeaways from the conference. And, uh, you know, we obviously didn't get to everything. So yeah. um, it'd be great to see what else was a highlight for you. And um, yeah, we appreciate you listening and tuning in. Uh, be sure to comment below or go ahead and give us a rating and review on iTunes. We appreciate your feedback and input on our show. John, I know you just did the show wrap, but I, I want to bring it back. One thing I really thought was valuable and, and I haven't really fully thought about it this way. Um, my thought on when to sell is, you know, when you've implemented your value add and basically squeezed out the profits um, to it, or maybe left some meat on the table, but enough to where you've, you've hit your, uh, return threshold. And also, you know, once you do a renovation, things look and appear new and sound new for about five to seven years, five to eight years, you know, but if you say I've got a, you know, if you've remodeled something 15 years ago, well, likely it's outdated. But what I, what this uh, person said is, it's time to sell when you have NOI erosion, when your capital improvements and slash your expenses outstrip your rent growth. So once you start having expense growth of let's say 3% and only rent growth of one or 2%, then we've got NOI net operating income erosion, and then it's time to sell. And I thought that was interesting. I've never heard anybody say it like that, but obviously that makes a lot of sense because we're now losing value of, on the property. Yeah, that's de definitely. So then I guess you just have to make sure you're really tied in those numbers really tight so that you can accurately predict that. Yep. 
Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the importance of minding your numbers and, and understanding those. So anyways, uh, that, that was the last thing I wanted to mention. I thought that was really good information that uh, he brought. So that's it. You've done the show wrap. So we're done with that. I will talk to you soon. And hey, make every day a Saturday. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. Couple things before we go again, go on to our Facebook page, Pillars of Wealth. We'd love to have you on there. Go on to iTunes, give us a rating and review and subscribe to the show. Also, um, you know, don't forget, reach out to me if you want any help with uh, potentially growing your business and reach out to John Styles to help you buy or sell real estate. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Have a fantastic the rest of the day. And as I say, make every day a Saturday.